Well, welcome to our, uh, our youth on the line service. This is our second week. Uh, thank you, worship team. You guys are amazing. That was such a good time of worship. If you're new uh, to our community, uh, welcome to our KCY family. And uh, my name is Malachi. I'm the youth pastor here at Kelowna Christian Center. If, uh, if you've never met me, welcome. And uh, this is uh, a super cool way that we can do youth uh, online. I love it. I love being able to have technology to be able to do something like this. I don't think uh, a few years ago we could, but here we are today. Uh, we live in a crazy world, but we're just trying to adapt the best we can. And I'm super excited about it. And uh, this message I want to share with you tonight, uh, I feel like God actually put it on my heart a few months ago. Um, and I felt like today was the day. Today's the day. So here we go. And, and we're going to jump right into this. And Daniel 3, uh, verse 1 to 18. And this is the NLT, if you're, if you're following along, if you're a note taker. Uh, and then we're going we're gonna, to, I'm going to go through this verse as fast as I can. And, uh, and we're going to unpackage it. And, and it's going to be a good night. So here we go. You guys ready? You got it? You got your Bible? Jenna? Jenna's back from Australia. We're so excited. Jamie is back from the States. Don't worry. They self-quarantined uh, for two weeks. So uh, we're going to Daniel. We're going to Daniel 3. I told you guys I'd be interacting with you. So don't, don't feel too nervous that you're on, you know, you're on the pressure seat here. All right. So Daniel 3 it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Verse 2, then he sent messengers to the high counselors, the officials, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and to all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and they stood before the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And then the herald Shout out, shouted out to the people and said, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zipper, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all the other musical instruments, bow down to the ground and worship the King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who uh, uh, refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So the sound of all the musical instruments, all the people, whatever race, whatever nation, whatever language, bowed down to the ground, worshipped the gold statue that the king had set up. In verse 8 it says, But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said that they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You have issued the decree, required all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zipper, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all the inner... Instru uh, other, uh, wow, I, I just screwed myself up. That's okay. They all, all the other musical instruments. That was a mouthful. There's a lot of musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey this must be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to call them the Risky Boys. All right? We're going to call them the Risky Boys. So the Risky Boys are basically opposed to this entire thing that's happening, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They've refused to serve your gods and they do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew himself into a rage and he, was, he ordered that the risky boys, we're going to call them risky boys because it's too hard to say their names all at once, be brought before him and they, they were basically just dragged into this, into this place with Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar says to them, is it true that you refuse to serve my gods and worship to the gold statue? 
I've set up. In verse 15, he says, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship this statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? The risky boys <laughs> replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the furnace, God, the God whom we serve is able to, the God who we serve is able to save us and he will rescue us from your power. And then in verse 18, this is where they kind of drop the bomb on him. They're like, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship this gold statue. Even if he doesn't. The title of this message uh, that I want to I speak to you guys tonight is called Some Conditions Apply. Some Conditions Apply. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for this time uh, in this, this place. God, we thank you for this technology for us to be able to connect with our students and connect with the world. God, we just, we just ask that tonight as we heard an amazing time and we had an amazing time of worship, God, that you would just soften our hearts. And God, as we, we, uh, we read your word and we, we just talk tonight, God, that we would go deeper in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I, I, always, like to, I always like to ask a question uh, when we open up, and this is kind of like the classic preacher thing to do. Uh, so bear with me. But how many of you, maybe I'll ask you guys, how many of you remember uh, what it was like? You have vivid memories of when you were a baby. Anybody? No, like, this is, this is not a normal thing. Like, I don't either. I, I think if you did, if you did, you would be really, really lucky. You have an amazing, incredible memory. But when you were a baby, I can guarantee you that, like, all of your trust was invested into your parents, right? Like, when you were a baby, you had no problem trusting your parents. Um, because we were completely, you know, as babies, we were completely reliant on our parents. And I know this from experience from babysitting, but like babies, I don't know if you've ever uh, experienced this, but when you babysit, I know Michael, he's got a little baby, but they're wild, right? Babies are wild. They're like in constant full send mode because they completely trust their parents. It's true, right? Like they, they completely trust, they, they don't care. They'll, they'll just full send themselves off of a couch because they know that their parents are watching and they're there 24-7 just ready to catch them, right? They know, that, they know that if they stick a fork in the outlet that, you know, my parents wouldn't have stopped me, be, uh, as you can tell. But like uh, some parents, are, they're, they're watching their kid 24-7 and the babies know this, right? So they, they can rely on their parents 24-7. They can put their full trust with zero conditions applied. So I'm saying that there's a time in everyone's life where we had zero conditions attached to our trust, right? There was, there was a time in every single, person, every single person's life where there was no conditions applied to your trust. But we all know that that doesn't last, right? We all know that that, that, that time in our life, we, we grow up, right? Obviously, we're all, we're, none of us are babies, except for a few of us, right? Uh, we know who you, the, the, those people are. Um, but when we grow up, right, we experience inconsistency. We experience failure. We experience disappointment. We experience life. And I think, I think we all experience moments where our trust is essentially altered, 
right? And, and I've experienced many of these uh, trust, we'll call them trust-altering moments, all right? And, and one in particular was with my dad. I had many uh, with my dad, unfortunately. Dad, if you're watching, uh, I, I just, I like to embarrass you. So there's so many stories that I could, I could pick from, but this one was in, in particularly uh, very uh, dear to my heart. It actually scarred me the most. So I was about 15, uh, 14 or 15, we were going to see a movie. We were going to see a movie, and, uh, and I was sitting in, a, in, the, in, in the car. I was waiting for my dad. It was dark. Uh, we lived out on a farm, and the car was running. And so I'm just sitting there waiting, and this is before, uh, this is before I had a cell phone. I don't know if you guys had cell phones when, when you were, like, I don't know, grade 11, grade 12. But I, I, I just boycotted cell phones, and I was sitting in the car without a cell phone, just waiting. And I don't think that anybody knows what that feels like anymore. Where you're waiting in, a, in this space with nothing to distract you, right? Like it's, it's basically we could chalk it up to the equivalent of, uh, you know, forgetting your phone when you go to the bathroom, right? That's probably the worst that it would get for all of us. It's like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do now? But I was waiting in the car. I was waiting in the car in the silence and in the dark. And if you've ever been in a silent, dark car or a silent, dark space, just alone with your thoughts, uh, I can guarantee that, you know, sometimes our minds wander, right? And, and I was sitting there and I was literally uh, starting to get scared. I was starting to get a little bit nervous. And we're in, like, we're in like the boonies, like we're in the middle of nowhere on this farm. And I'm thinking to myself, literally in this moment, like I'm scared because I'm sitting there in the car and I think that someone's going to come out of the bush. Some random person is going to come out of the bush and grab me out of the car. And so like, it's a stupid thought, right? But like, as I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm like thinking about this like random person maybe coming out of the bush. I lock the door, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you just get so scared. You get like, you almost hype yourself up to this moment. So I lock the door. And anyways, I'm waiting. And finally, my dad comes out of the house. Finally, my dad comes out of the house. And, uh, and as he's walking outside of the house, and I, I didn't really like catch this at first. He's kind of like walking with his head down. And, uh, and I didn't really pay much attention to it. I don't know why. He gets in the car. But as he gets in the car, he's like keeping his head. I'm sitting over here. So imagine I'm sitting over here like where Jenna is. And, and Jamin's my dad. And he gets in the car and he kind of like keeps his head turned like this. And I, I, I don't know why he did this. And I'm kind of like, I'm kind of over it at this point. I'm ready to go to the movie. We're going to be late, right? And so I'm not really thinking of it. But then he just, he just continues to sit there in silence with his head turned. And if you've ever met my dad, you kind of understand that he would do something like this really weird. But like, he's just sitting there in silence, not moving, not saying anything with his head away from me. And, I'm, and I finally kind of like, I'm like, I get a little bit annoyed. I'm like, dad, like, like I've been waiting this whole time. L like, let's go. We're going to be late for the movie. And he, and he doesn't respond. And I'm kind of like, I'm sitting there thinking, like, is this really my dad? Like, and, and I, I said this. I was like, I kind of just said to me, like, Dad, is that, is that you? And, they, and it was just like, a, just silence in the car, okay? Still silence. And he kind of goes like this, and he kind of turns a little bit, and he's like, this isn't your dad. And I literally, in that moment, like, I don't know if, I don't know if you guys have, like, really mean dads, but, like, in that moment, I tried to kill my father. I was throwing fists as hard as I can. I was, like, screaming. I was, I was trying to, in, in, like, in, like, break his neck. I literally, I grabbed him around the throat. I was trying to choke him. And, 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 and the whole time that I'm doing this, I'm, like, throwing fists. I'm, like, screaming at him. I'm like, he taught me how to do all this, okay? So this is okay. He, he, he deserved this. And I'm, I'm literally, my hands are around his throat, and I was trying to kill this intruder because it wasn't my dad, right? And so, and he's, and, and this whole time, he's like losing it. He's laughing. He's trying to get his breath out. Meanwhile, my hands are on his throat. 
right? And, I, and he's laughing through this. He's like, it's me, it's me, it's me. And finally we get it all calmed down. And I, I, think, I, I think I didn't even want to go to the movie at that point. I just kind of like stormed inside the house, right? But, and he, I don't know if he knows this, but for, to, to this day, from that moment on to this day, every time I get into the car, I like check the back seat. Because of him, right? I always looked in the backseat just to be sure. And of course, you know, of course, even after all that, I still, I still trust my dad. But it changed me, right? There were some conditions that applied themselves to the trust that I had with my dad. Okay, so, and I'm sure all of us can probably easily remember, um, maybe not moments of like that terrifying moment, but like moments that we were disappointed. Uh, moments where we lost our trust in something. Moments where we, uh, we were, our, our trust was altered by something. Maybe we, we, we were hurt. Maybe something bad happened. But we all remember those moments where our trust was altered. Right? And, we, and I think we go through these experiences, and, and as we go through maybe, uh, maybe negative experiences, it's like, it's like these hidden conditions, like they attach themselves to our, our trust, right? And things, things start to, uh, we, we actually start to expect people to live up to certain standards uh, in order to, uh, for us to trust them. We start looking, our expectation for people is that they jump through different hoops so that we can, uh, you know, be, maybe start to trust them. But we have these expectations, these almost like hidden conditions for people. Right? As we go through life, as these experiences happen to us. And I think that, you know, obviously we, we should have boundaries. We should have trust boundaries. We shouldn't just trust anybody, especially if they just like walk into your car and it's like the first time you meet them, you probably like don't talk to strangers, okay? That's, a, that's like rule one. Don't talk to strangers, okay? So these boundaries are good, but in moderation. Because I think far too often when we let ourselves, um, when we let ourselves go along that habit and we let ourselves let like those uh, conditions attached to our trust, it, far too often I think it gets mixed into our relationship with God. Far too often it gets re, uh, mixed into our relationship with God. And in order for us to trust him, we sometimes, we almost ask God to jump through hoops, right? We, we almost, we subconsciously apply conditions to our trust, to our faith with God. We apply conditions, we say things like, uh, you know, God, I'll, I'll trust you. Sorry, my computer is glitching like crazy. God, I'll trust you if you do this and this and this. God, I'll trust you if you show me a sign. I'll just wait for the sign. Before I move, God, I'm just going to wait for you to open the door, right? There's like the classic things we say. Or God, in moments of desperation, like, God, you, I need this miracle or I'm going to lose it. Like, I need this miracle so bad I'm not going to make it, right? And there's these moments and these hidden conditions that we put on God. God, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. But some conditions apply. And when I look back at this story of Daniel, these boys, these, these risky boys, they were faced with a very interesting situation, okay? So King Nebuchadnezzar, we're just going to recap the story. Uh, he builds a statue, declares a law that everybody, absolutely everybody, doesn't matter what your uh, religious background is, doesn't, want, doesn't matter what language you speak, it doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter if you are a Babylonian, if you're a Jew, it doesn't matter. He said, everybody, when the sound of the music starts playing, you have to bow down to this idol. You have to bow down to this statue. And if you don't, you're going to die, right? You're going to be sentenced to death. You'll be thrown into a furnace. And to add to the, t the tension of the situation, uh, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego, they were, they were at, a, at a place where they had a lot to lose, 
Okay, so if you understand who these, these, these guys were, uh, first of all, you have to understand who Daniel was. So Daniel, this is what Daniel is written about. Daniel's name is on the, on the book cover, okay? So Daniel was a friend of, the, of these boys, right? So Daniel was a Jew, and uh, he, he basically got thrown to a lion's den. We won't get into that, but he was elevated to this position because he was able to interpret dreams. He was a prophet, okay? So, so, so Daniel was elevated into the king's court, and he was really close to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he had basically got uh, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego a job overseeing everything in Babylon, in Babylon at the time. Like all the affairs that were going on in Babylon, they were overseeing it. Okay, so it's interesting. Like I actually never had, had gotten this before. So this, what this tells me is that these three guys went from being exiled Jews, right? They went from being exiled Jews in a foreign country with probably nothing to their name, no bank account, nothing, no camels. You could probably chalk them up to be as important as slaves, okay? And they go from probably sleeping on dirt and nothing to their name to now, now they're in charge of every affair in Babylon. They're probably sleeping in a mansion. They probably are riding around on the new camel, the equivalent to like a new Lambo, right? And they got, they got the nice suits on because they're now representatives of Babylon, right? They go from nothing to having like great wealth. They have great stature. They're in the king's court. They're like, they're having meals with King Nebuchadnezzar. They're like kicking it. It's the best. Like, and they have a lot to lose in this moment. Moment. And so the pressure to conform was really, really high. The, the pressure to bow down in this moment was extremely high because they would have lost everything. They would have lost everything. And the pressure to, to bow down was so much uh, higher in this moment because before they had nothing, now they have essentially to, to the world's eyes, they have everything. And so back to the story, the trumpets blow, the harps start going. I'm not going to list all the musical instruments because I'll get, my tongue will get twisted. And, and, and across every province, all begin to kneel, except for three. All begin to kneel, except for three. And the king, he catches news and he, he sends uh, his messengers and he, and he gets the, the risky boys to come. And, and he basically um, scolds them and he's like, what are you doing? And even in this moment, as the, as the boys are in front of the king, he gives them a second chance. He's like, look, I'll, I understand that this might be hard for you. I don't know where you guys come from. I don't know what your, maybe your background is. You guys are very, like, um, dedicated to, to your religion. But I'm going to give you guys a chance. If we're going to play the music again, and you guys are going to have a chance to bow down. You guys are going to have a chance to conform. But in verse 14, in verse 14, this is where it hit me so hard. This is where it hit me so hard. I, I, I think I've read this so many times, this story, but this is kind of something that I just want to bring to you guys' attention. These men, they say something that I think is so essential for our faith today, that we need in our life, in our trust with God, in our faith today. They say one phrase that's so essential. In verse 16, it's, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us and we will be rescued from your power. And in verse 18, he said, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, and like I said, I've, I've seen this so many times, but, but it didn't really ever stick to me until I, I read it like a few months ago. And what this is saying, this is, this is mind-blowing to me because what this is saying is, hey, we don't need a miracle 
We don't need a miracle to prove to us that God is good. We don't need God to save us to know that he is for us. We don't need, we already have everything we need. All that stature, the promotion, all the mansions, all the camels, the suits, the money, the food, we don't need it. We have everything. We don't need extra of God. We know that God is, en is enough for us. And as I began to ponder this, as I began to ponder this, even in my own life, I want to ask you a question. I had to ask this question to myself. If that, say, say today, from today on, say today on, I don't want to, I don't want to put words in Jesus' mouth, but say today on, Jesus never did one more thing for you. Would he be enough? From, from, the, from, the, from your life, looking at the scope of your life, from today on, if he never blessed you one more time, if he never performed one more miracle for you, if he, if, he, if he stopped working essentially in your life or just took his hands off and been like, all right, the rest is up to you, would he be simply enough for you? Just Jesus. Just Jesus. And this was actually a really hard conversation that I had to have with myself because I think, I think when I look at our culture and I think I look at even Christian culture today, uh, I think we get stuck chasing miracles. We, we get stuck in this mindset where we, we, we see the promise and we start chasing the promise instead of chasing the promise seeker or promise, promise maker, right? We become promise seekers and, and, and we, we completely forget about the one who made the promise. And, I, and, and it's almost like we're, we're so, we, we, we have this thing so ingrained inside of us that we just need to see something in front of us. We want results. We want to see something changed. We want to see things happen fast. We want to see revival, but we want to see it now. We want to see things in front of us. We want to see the miracle. But what happens if it never happens? What happens if it never happens? What if, what if it wasn't for my time? What if it was never supposed to happen in my lifetime? What if my job was something different? What if my job was to just be faithful? What happens if the big shiny platform promise doesn't come? What happens uh, if revival never shows up? Would Jesus be enough for us? Because when I here, here's my point. When I think about the miracle of the cross, I think we, I think we just kind of glance over this in our lives really, really easily. I'm not saying everyone does this, but I think when I, when I, when I, when I think back to the miracle of the cross, right, where Jesus, um, where everything, every sin, past, present, and future of every single person was was put on His shoulders, and when He who knew no sin literally became sin for us. Right? Jesus took every single sin, your past, your present, your future, and all of heaven, including the Father, looked away. And in that moment, when Jesus was on the cross, when everything looked away, when all of heaven looked away, he experienced what we were supposed to experience, complete separation from his Father. Right? If we walk through our life and we don't have Jesus, we're going to eternity somewhere. Right? And, and we either experience what Jesus experienced in that moment where he was completely separated, but instead he traded that so that we could have eternity with him. Right? And so, and so we say the prayer, we believe in our heart, and our life is forever changed. 
And I think about, I think about all these miracles and I, even miracles that I've seen, I've seen backs being healed before. I've seen like, uh, like gas, uh, gas, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Gas tanks filled as we were praying. Like I've seen miracles and I've read about miracles, but the greatest miracle to have ever happened, the greatest miracle that will ever happen happens here. It happens right here in your heart. That's the greatest miracle to take place ever. Okay. And I think that it's really easy for us to glance over this. And of course we, we read on back of this story as they get thrown into the furnace, they're, they're completely fine. God saves them. He sends an angel and, uh, and they, they come out, right? They basically like bring them out, like, whoa, what the heck happened here? And the king is so stunned. He's so amazed that he, he recognizes their God as a God, which was big for that time. And he also basically ends up promoting them. But these boys, these boys risked everything, not for promotion. They didn't risk everything so that uh, God could prove something to them. He didn't, they didn't risk everything for, for anything other than this. They walked into the fire, not knowing if it was their last moment on earth, but it didn't matter because they knew whose they were, right? They walked into the fire, they didn't care. They said, it doesn't matter because I know where I'm going. Their faith was without condition. Their faith was without condition. And I think what it was for these guys, it was a heart posture. They were in a place of contentment with God. And that's what I mean by when, when I ask the question, is Jesus enough? If nothing else happens in my life, is Jesus enough? Am I content with where God has brought me to? Am I content with everything God has done in my life? And if, if he, all he's asking me to do is just be faithful for the rest of my life, am I content with that? That's a really hard pill to swallow. But these boys, these, 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 these Jewish boys were in a place of contentment. And contentment doesn't mean, well, God, you're never going to do anything cool. You're never going to do anything big in my life. So I guess I'm just going to get used to that. And I'll just be content. I'll be content. I'll be happy, I guess. If nothing else happens in my life, I'll just be content. Right? That's not what contentment is. Contentment, this is what, this is what contentment looks like. When, it's, when your posture towards God is, is when you come to him and you're like, God, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me? Not what can you do for me, but what do you have for me, God? Your will be done today. I'm open to what you want to do. It's not about what I want to do. It's not about what I, I could, I could pray for revival all day long and it doesn't matter because it's, if it's not what God wants in that moment, I'm just, I'm just saying words. Right? And contentment is, is if it's a, you know, where we have this posture to say, God, if it's world changing, God, I am so excited. I am in. I am like two feet in. Like, I'm with you, God. If it's like, if it's world changing, I'm there. I'm there. But if it's something small, if it's not shiny, if no one's going to see me, it's not going to change my faith. It's not going to change my faith. When we quiet our heart, when we quiet our desires, we quiet our demands, we clear out our agenda and our conditions, man, it makes it so much easier for God to be like, man, now I can work with you, right? It gives way to God's desires. It opens up that space. I think so often we just get caught up in, in what we want to see, but really God's saying, hey, just, just, just shush, shush. Be quiet. I don't want that in your life. Let's, let's get that out of the way. I want to put this here. 
That's what it means when, when God gives you the desires of your heart. He actually, he actually wants you to get rid of your desires and he puts his desire in there and it becomes your desire. That's what that verse means. He wants to put his desire in your heart. We need to make room for God. And, uh, and, and, and even back to this story, it might look like God's asking you to take a step backward, right? Like God, I don't think God asked them to walk in the furnace, but he just asked them not to bow down, right? And, and it might've looked like, man, like we're giving up everything as we walk into this furnace. We're, we're, we're literally giving up everything that was over there, all the things I achieved. And it looks like I'm going backwards, but, but most oftentimes when God asks you to take a step backwards, it's actually to move you forwards into something that you could never have done on your own. I want a faith without condition where I can believe, I can believe big. I can, I can have expectation for the big. My prayers can be big, but even if he doesn't, my faith won't change. My trust will not change. There'll be no conditions to my faith. It won't be staggered. Can I pray with you guys? You can just bow your heads and I just want to pray with you. Father God, I just, I thank you for your word. And God, that even though it was written so many years ago, God, that it is so relevant for our hearts today. It's so relevant for our life today that God, even in this story where these boys, they knew, God, they knew something. They just, they knew who you were. They know who you are. And God, even if you didn't intend to save them, God, that that we get to learn from that. And God, in our lives, that even if you don't, that our faith will not change. God, even in this time where there's, there's, there's turmoil and there's chaos, God, even if you don't, our faith will stay the same. God, our faith will continue forward. God, we won't ask you to do anything. We won't ask you to jump through a hoop, but God, we just want your desire. We want your heart. We want your will in our lives, God. We want your will in our lives, God. We just want to make room for you. God, would you just change our hearts, God, from a place of just waiting it out to a place of where we just ask what your will is, God, that we ask that even in the morning, we wake up and, 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 it's, and it's that question, God, what can I do for you today? That we would have that heart posture towards you. And I don't, I don't know if you're, in, if you're here watching with us today um, and if maybe part of this message has really hit you and, and even when we were talking about uh, the greatest miracle that to, to ever be in the history of mankind happened here. It happened in your heart where Jesus Christ comes and he, and he comes into your life and we, we surrender our life to him or we become saved by the blood of the lamb. And, and, and maybe some of that struck you. And, and if you've never made that decision and you're watching right now, um, I just want to pray a prayer with you. I just want to pray a prayer with you. I said this last week that, man, if I didn't have Jesus, I would be, I would be going crazy especially in a time where, where we live in the world that we're living in. Man, I'd be going crazy if I didn't have Jesus, if I didn't have him to lean on for all my concerns, if I didn't have his joy, if I didn't have his peace, if I didn't have hope for a future. Man, if I didn't have Jesus, it would be all for nothing. 
And so I want to ask you if this, maybe, maybe you've never made that decision and you want to follow Christ and you want to make that decision right now. I just want to pray a prayer with you. It's going to be simple. And, uh, and the band's going to, they're going to, they're going to pray that prayer with me. So it's not awkward. And, uh, and we're just going to pray and I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. You're going to repeat it. And, and once this happens, man, like your life is forever changed. Like this is the greatest miracle to ever take place is, is the one in your heart where Jesus Christ comes in to your heart. So I just want to pray right now. You just pray after me, Father God. God, I, I, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I know that I need you. I've been living life without you. And that needs to change. God, I just pray that your, your spirit would just come right now. God, I give you my life. I give you my future. Jesus, come into my heart. Change me. Remake me. Guide me. Help me to live a life for you. I never want to be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.